Jihei Jung, Eric Chabich, and Todd Meehan uh, of Liquid Drum. Thank you uh, so much for joining me here today. Um, I've spoken with all three of you on the podcast at one point or another, I believe, for various reasons. Um, but uh, there's a new project out, uh, co-written by uh, Jihei Jung and Eric uh, Chabich, sort of produced and, and disseminated by Liquid Drum. Um, and, I'm, and I want to sort of spend this time talking a bit, a bit about that book, how it came about, why you, de- why you three decided to sort of put this on and tackle this, and um, sort of what you see maybe as the next, you know, let's, let's look into the future a little bit, like what's the next steps for, for the sort of progression of marimba studies in particular. But um, maybe we'll start with Jihei, just because she's my favorite out of the crew. Um, <laughs> And always has been, and is the nicest of all three of you. Um, Jihei, um, in, in all seriousness, this, you know, you are, I'm just going to say some things and you can correct me, you're from Korea, and you, the, this is a book of arrangements of Korean folk songs, and I'm curious if you can just sort of start off by giving, talk to me like I'm, like I have no idea about any of these folk songs, or why they're, where they came from, or what they mean to you. Uh, we started this project with Eric, just I think talking about my childhood and how I started playing marimba and what sort of uh, pieces I played on the marimba when I was very little because I you know I, would, I didn't start on four mallets I started on two mallets and we didn't in Korea at the time really have a lot of literature written for uh, marimba and at least we didn't have them so. We were playing a lot of transcriptions and uh, we were just talking one day and we thought it would be fun to mess around and see if it's possible. I don't know, Eric. Like It was just, uh, I say that I don't improvise, but we kind of did improvise a lot on it and just having fun. And it got a little bit more serious in that uh, we should make this into a actual uh, attitude book to help other people and letting other people to know more about Korean culture. And that got really uh, me excited. And we started with one or two songs that I grew up with. I Some of them I actually played as a kid mm-hmm. on the marimba, standing on the step stove. Um, and I think it was the mother's love that I, that's one of the first marimba pieces that I learned. My mm. teacher is grabbing my hands from behind. And I didn't know how to read music when I was four years old, four and a half. Mm-hmm. So it was more for oral and sort of visual learning. And I did that like, you know, 20 minutes a day. That was my lesson, maybe 15 minutes. And that was one of the first pieces that I learned on the instrument. And then we're talking about the, you know, pieces that, the songs, folk songs that I really like, um, which happened to be Eric's favorite uh, song as well. He can talk about that. So then we started kind of playing on the marimba and looking for more pieces that will work for this set of book. And to be honest, I think um, I was using set of, I don't know if I can say you can, you know, crop it out, Josh. But I was using a lot for my own students this mm-hmm. uh, Djivikovich uh, Funny Mallet book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Long, uh, a few years ago. And then I had, you know, I stopped using them because I was disappointed to hear what he had to say about women in percussion academia world. And so I said, 
I need to look for a different book. So I've been looking for actually other books. There are quite a bit out there, but I also thought it would be interesting to incorporate Korean culture into and how I brought it and sort of helping other students. What's well, amazing. So, I have a, I have a ton of questions for you in particular, maybe about just maybe scratching the surface a bit on Korean culture and how it relates to the the way you both you all arranged these mu- this music um, and just sort of like how you how you did that. But I'm curious. Maybe this is a, uh, to go to Eric here real quick. And I'm, again, I'm just going to state an obvious thing. You're from Canton, Ohio. Probably weren't <laughs> steeped in Korean culture or folk song, as far as I know. And I'm, I'm, and and again, I'm kind of, it's, a, I'm making fun of you a little bit here. But like, what, what got you interested personally, Eric, in this type of music? Because as I was listening through all the charts, like, I think if I didn't know you at all, I would think you had grown up with this music in a way that it sits in your, it sits in you in a way that I think it, it wouldn't had you just like met Jihei yesterday and started. So can you talk a little bit about your process and sort of learning about these songs, Eric, and what, what questions you maybe had for Jihei that seemed obvious to her, but maybe felt like a dumb question from you to ask about Korean. Like, I, I don't know if that's a good question, but I'm kind of curious from your standpoint. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, so a couple of things come to mind. I mean, um, one is first of all, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's appropriate to be too honest. Like Jihei said, you know, we can edit any of this out. We should. My memory is that Jihei and I were actually looking for an excuse to hang out. So uh, my wife and I wanted to go visit Nashville and just hang out with Jihei and Lee. That's how like 90% of collaborations I think get started just for the record for people who are listening. And so we were like, well, if we told people that we were going to like work on a project for Marimba, then like, we could, we could, you know, like, I don't know, maybe I could teach a couple of lessons at Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt could like pitch in for my airfare or something. I actually can't remember where the money came from, but like we, I think we said, you know, like hanging out was the most important first step in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, yeah, like Jihei is saying, you know, just, uh, I, Jihei, I think you, you had the idea about looking at Korean songs in particular. Um, and I will say, so, uh, my wife Yeji is Korean, and um, you know, I, I actually feel like it, it's really great. Um, Jihei and I are old friends from college and known each other forever. Um, and like, my wife Yeji and I uh, officiated at Jihei's wedding. Um, I read the ceremony in English. My wife read the ceremony in Korean. Um, in some ways, like our families have had a connection of like, you know, bridging the cultural boundaries. So. Jihei's husband Lee is a white dude from Alabama, so not exactly Canton, Ohio, but like there's some ways that our families have a similar structure and and we've related on that. And especially becoming Mm -hmm. parents, um, you know, especially um, the fact that some of these songs are are songs that get sung to kids. And um, as we've worked on this project, it's great. My wife Yeji will hear one of the tunes that we're working on and, and remember. Uh, her mother singing it to her and and we sing um so the one called Samjipagi which is island baby that's literally the song that we sing to Romi every single night it's it's actually like the cue that he knows we're going towards the crib right now because and it's amazing because he relaxes the second we start singing it like he he understands like oh okay cool we've been screwing around until now but so i kind of feel like maybe these layers of friendship with like genuinely being interested in um, Korean culture and how it relates to our families and especially um, 
you know, raising children who are Korean in the United States and wanting to make sure that they have a connection with that Korean heritage. That's really important. I'll say when I was a student, you know, we all played these Japanese children's songs and things from Keiko Abe. And that's because she's this amazing presence in our repertoire. And she made music out of this thing that was important for her culture. So um, um, I would not have had any reason to learn about um, Japanese folk music other than playing those pieces on marimba. And I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe there are students who could approach this project and learn about Korean culture the same way. It's really interesting that you mentioned the Japanese children's songs with like in Keiko Abe because, and this is a, maybe a question to, to get Todd in the mix here. Um, I was thinking about the sort of, and Jihei, you mentioned too, the Funny Mallet series. And there, there's um, at least whenever I was an undergrad, there was a handful, like four or five places you could go. There was the good, uh, the Goldenberg, Goldenberg or Goldberg, the blue, there's a blue book of like a whole bunch of two mallet etudes. Like that was sort of the Bible when I was in school. And then when I got to grad school, started working with Bob, um, the Image book by Bart Cotier came, uh, he sort of gave that to me and I was like, bro, this is my first day at Yale and you're going to have me play out for a walk with granddad. Like what the, <laughs> really? And he really impressed upon me this idea of like, you know, you, you should be able to play easy stuff at an incredibly high level. Like if you, you, if that's all you did was the Image while you were here at Yale and you could really slay these and, and have control over it. That's what I'm teaching you. And I'm curious for you, Todd, you've now, this is, I don't know how many method, this is, you released a snare drum um, method book recently that was based on some Indian, like, tabla playing. Uh, and I'm curious for you, Todd, like, just thinking back about your time coming up, because you're a little bit of an older generation than, than me, Eric, or Jihei, but not by much. But, like, is this, is the sort of dissemination of method books like this something that is a personal passion of yours because of a sort of glut of it whenever we were in school or like what, what grab, what makes you gravitate towards this particular style of, of method book, um, you know, dissemination and production. Yeah. Well, and, and this, this book I'll say to begin with is, um, conceptually different than, um, I mean, everything I've put out so far via liquid drum has been different. My, Accessory thing is very, very um, uh, wordy and long-winded and way too many explanations and not a lot of music. So that's, that's you know, that's one style of, of, of method book. Uh, and it's then, the best we have. That's all there is. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sean's uh, book, Rudimental, is I think probably a better blend of um, there's a lot of playing, there's a lot of written stuff, uh, but then he contextualizes it i think in a nice way with um some words here and there and and then uh this project that we're talking about now is i mean it's it's mainly music it's 10 etudes Mm -hmm. and uh jihei and eric have provided you know a handful of notes um about each piece just a little guide um but this is actually more similar to what i'm used to in terms of um, you know, I, I think we, we kind of use method books sometimes as an umbrella term and it doesn't actually apply to, mm-hmm. to everything. I think my book is a method book. I think this book is a etude collection. Um, I think they all function differently pedagogically, right? Mm-hmm. So some maybe are a little bit more heavy handed with, with the delivery of information. The best example of this, as we all know, is, uh, Lee Howard Stevens method of movement, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, as many words as I have in my book, I definitely still don't have as many words as Stevens does in his book. 
Um, and so, I, you know, I think the different styles I really appreciate. I appreciate like having a lot of different pedagogical materials at my hands. I have, you know, uh, like all of you leaned on um, various, what I, in my teaching call quote unquote, easy etudes. Um, that's usually, you know, not a great name for them because you know, there's not a lot of things that are, that are actually easy. You can find challenge and difficulty and uh, things that presumably are, are relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a huge part of my teaching. So yeah, I've been doing that with the homage books. I do that with, you know, like George Hamilton green, um, uh, you know, the, the, the xylophone book. And, you know, at the end of each lesson these slightly longer, uh, you know, ragtime uh, things that get close to kind of etude status. Um, so I, for probably all the same reasons that we all know the value of that and going through that, um, in our own way, whether with Bob or with somebody else. Um, I think it's just a really, really powerful way to teach. It condenses things down into manageable chunks. Mm-hmm. I can give a student something and say, we're going to spend a week, maybe two on this, but not eight. Um, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be some like, you know, of these pull elements with each thing that hopefully are really, really impactful that we that we carry with us. And, you know, to your point of, you know, we could study this stuff and spend a whole year on it and get really, really good at it. Yeah. I think there's great power in that too. I loved, well, one, we're getting, you know, now these videos trickling in of the people that we've asked to record, mm-hmm. but I love just watching Ivan's video yesterday. Cause it's just like, there's just so much energy and you can tell that like he's having so much fun playing it and can play it really, really well. And we didn't give him that long to prepare. So it's not like he was practicing for eight hours a day. Um, But there's just something really nice about seeing someone have the ability to do that. Now, you know, Jihei can do that with velocities, but you know, most of the rest of us can't, we need, we need Korean songs for marimba to, to, to kind of have that feeling. Um, So I, you know, for me, I think it's really, it's like enormously valuable. Um, both as a teacher, but also as a performer. Like I've really enjoyed just messing around with some of these etudes. The one that I stupidly picked, I guess, actually is kind of hard. Um, I didn't realize it, but I haven't um, seen that video yet. Are you still working? Is it, are you editing it still? Is it? Yeah, I haven't seen that video yet. I Todd, are you sending us? Ivan, nope, I, I know. Yeah. There's a bunch Punching I saw. <laughs> yeah. No, Ivan's was really great. I remember that one, that one struck me. There were two that struck me. I think of the ones I heard that were recorded that are, kind of my favorites one is the one that ivan did and i think i was just he had me at hello with the way he plays right right it's like he's always playing timpani it doesn't matter what instrument right. it is. It's tim- and i was like I, I, I could watch this all day and then the sea the um is it island baby the, is that that's not the sea shanty one island baby uh is the one where at the end there's like the speeding up and slowing down rhythms like uh there was something about that jihei that i really so this leads me to my question for you personally, and then maybe that can branch out into process. You know, I, I've been thinking with Kendall Williams about writing a method book, similarly about just steel band, you know, t- starting a steel band. The minute, talking to Kendall, because this is like where his, you know, he grew up in, this, that's his culture. He grew up in as a, since a kid like you. I immediately started to feel like, okay, let's put this in and let's put this in. And then we, oh, we got to talk about this. And next thing you know, it's like, I've got this draft that has too much information, but then I feel like ethically bad about leaving some stuff out. Like I, I can't get it all in. Like I've got to get it done. 
you grew up in a culture that that marimba playing was one of the predominant instruments, I would say, in, in terms of the classical studies. I remember the first time I met someone from Asia who played marimba, and I just remember thinking, like, what? who is this alien of a person that's holding the sticks in a different way? And for a while, I was like, well, that must be Asian grip. Like, I didn't know. No one told me. Like, I'm, you know, of course, that wasn't, you know, called, you know, geographically accurate to say, you know, Asia's a big place. But, like, you know, Ayano, meeting Ayano and being like, whoa, you clearly have thought about marimba as much as I've thought about steel pan or Kendall has thought about pan. How did you, as you started thinking about this, like, there's no talk of any grip. You don't talk about any of, like, I'm just kind of curious, how did you get to the, in terms of process, how did you weed through all of the stuff that you know how to do and that you could probably write down, like Lee Stevens, you know, every way you hold a stick and how you adjust, like, how did you sort of cut through all the stuff to get to the, how many, eight, there's 10 etudes, is that how many are in there? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you whittle it down to 10? Because for me, that editing process has been terrifying and really, really hard. Yeah, I think that that was uh, at the towards the, at the end the most difficult part for us as well. Um, but when we are looking at each attitude, each songs, we actually focused maybe one or two different very specific techniques to really showcase and able to master during that piece on that piece, and uh, that kind of help us to not put too much on that <laughs> in one like two minute uh, attitude mm. but at the same time like we were <laughs> bouncing I think that it's actually nice to have somebody else to go back and forth and and luckily Eric and I are good friends so I don't really feel bad telling him hey Eric uh, what do you think about this I know you spent 10 hours you know doing adding all this rhythm difficult rhythm and but it's really hard, you know, it's it's going to take somebody really long time. So just going back and forth, and he would do the same thing for me. Like, he was like, oh, I like this, but what, what about this? Does it make sense to do the whole flow of the melody? So I think it was really actually, actually a great partner. Uh, Eric always, it's been a great friend. So I, I really didn't feel bad about telling him, like, I don't think it's going to work out. Maybe oh, you did feel bad. I don't know. You probably Eric, do. Eric, do you want to respond to that? I have a, I have a follow-up to that. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I totally agree. Actually, I think GA is a much better editor than I am. Um, and I, I had this habit of like, I would write like a 50-bar process. And GA would be like, this is so cool. I think like four bars would make it a great introduction. <laughs> um, and every suggestion like that was 100% accurate. And it was reminding me of, you know, so Percussion just did this project with Caroline Shaw last year where we were composing in the recording studio and that's very much the same way like you you can make 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 in the recording studio all day long but then you have to edit it and you have to have enough trust especially i think like your own ears your own brain gets burned out when it's chewing on the same idea over and over and over again so having somebody that you really trust who you you know you trust their opinion and and when they say like this is just too long or this is just too complicated you can be like you're actually 100% right and like there was one leave it said woo cameo it's a recording you need to go <laughs> um there was one uh it was sea shanty in, in this where like i 
you know, it was like a lot of times I would just be like, I don't know, let me try some crazy rhythmic idea here. And I, I wrote this whole thing. And Jay was like, I just don't know that this is right for this song. And I was like, actually, you know, you're hundred percent right. This is not very cool. And I, and I was like, well, I just, I don't quite know how to start this one. Could you just send me like some improvisation to give us something to get started with? And Jihei basically sent back exactly what's in the book. She just like improvised mm-hmm. the piece that it, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to put into Sibelius exactly what you just played. So hold on. And like, you know, 24 hours later, we kind of, that one was finished. So there's the, there's these moments where something just moves really fast. And then there's ones where we definitely wrangled with it for and weeks Were you both co-composing the pieces back and forth or did you decide ahead of time like Eric's going to take these five Jihei's going to take these five and then we'll sort of start exchanging I I think like what we did so there actually there was more than one visit to Nashville there was more than one time that we used this as an excuse to hang out and usually what we would do on those trips is like um, Jihei had collected some you know like she would find on the internet somewhere oh there's this song you know Kakaturi, which is hunting birds, the one Ivan was playing or whatever. She'd send me like, like a screenshot from somewhere on the internet where it's just, just like notation of the melody. Um, and then either we would improvise together in person on these trips or Jihei would impro- improvise and send ideas to me. Mm-hmm. And then I would usually like sit with Sibelius and try to like, you know, I don't know. I guess in my composing, a lot of my stuff is sort of process oriented. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll take like, this is the full pattern we want to get to. Let me subtract from it backwards to make something that builds up. Like the beginning of Birdie that Todd is playing, you know, mm-hmm. starts with fewer notes and then accumulates. I haven't heard that one yet. Just so I, so I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. I, actually, I, I hope Todd is going to be able to learn it in time, but um, anyway, it'll be fine. Um, well, well, Todd, um, th- That's for you, terrible. <laughs> Todd, for you, um, what, what can it just take me through the process so of when they reached out to you? So you, I'm just assuming you didn't reach out to the two of them and were like, "Hey, it'd be great if I could put out a method book of Korean folk songs." <laughs> from Rimba, right? So how can you just sort of boil down if you're okay to show your cards here? Like for a student who's in school who is like, I'm interested in either I write music and I have these ideas for you know a conga method book or I have you know, whatever like. How does that process happen with someone like yourself? Yeah. Um, so I, I did a little research here, Josh, expecting that question. Uh, and I can tell you that Eric um, sent me an email on March 1st, 2021 at 1044 mm. a.m. Um, so 10 and a half months ago, I guess, about, right? Um, and it was just kind of a... Hey, Jihei and I are doing this thing. We're writing some etudes. And he said, you know, I I was looking at your accessory book. It looks like you self-published, you know, like it wasn't like pitching the idea at all. It was just like, can we chat about what that looks like? And Mm -hmm. is that hard? Do you think that's the way to go or whatever? And so Eric and I um, had a phone call soon after. And I think by the end of that call, and again, he wasn't pitching anything, and I kind of felt like I was maybe even overstepping, but we just kind of got to talking. I was like, well, I, you know, if you want, like, m- maybe you could do it through Liquid Drum. Like, I don't know what you want, but if, if you wanted to do something that you didn't have to actually do the publishing, um, I would be totally game for collaborating on this. And so he checked with Jihei, and then we set up a Zoom, and then, you know, 
then it all kind of happened. So, um, yeah, I think that is just another, it's just another expression of the collaborative process and leaning on your friends, not even necessarily asking for something, but just saying, can I talk with you about what this, what this means or what mm-hmm. this means? You know, if I had a, a question about recording or something, I would talk to my friends who I know like do that and do that. Well, can I ask you about what mics to buy? Um, and one thing just kind of leads to the next and then you see where you end up. And I mean, this whole project could have ended in a very different place. And I could have said, well, I don't want to do this, Eric, you should do it yourself and, you know, figure it out and, uh, or go through one of the, you know, the bigger music publishers, but it sounded interesting. And I like doing this type of thing with friends, uh, and people I know and trust. Um, and you know, there's, a million more bits and pieces to, to the process, but generally that's how it came to well, fruition. Can you show me, uh, can we, can we drill down a little bit more on, and I think Eric and Yeji, or sorry, I'll edit that out. <laughs> I will edit that out. Please don't. Eric and G. Um, can you drill down a little bit more on the process? Cause you, you were like 10 and a half months ago, Eric called me, we talked and then here we are on this zoom call. Like, that's not at all how it happened. There was a lot more <laughs> mud and sweat. My memory is Todd tears. said something along the lines of, I'm going to make you a star, kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but so, yeah. a big so, signing bonus and all that, too. So. Okay, so, like, let's say I've got, you know, I've got 10 pieces that I've composed in Sibelius. Yeah. Like, Eric has laid out that that's part of the process. you got to write this stuff out in Sibelius. But, like, it doesn't just show up in a book with a cartoon drawing of your two faces. Like, there's <laughs> there was there were some steps to that process. And, like, who – just in terms of, like, your process, Todd, like, what are – what's the – their job is to write the music and somehow put it in a presentable form to you. But, like, what's your job then? And, and, and as part of your job, did you veto anything that the two of them brought to the table because you knew something about that side of the business that they didn't? Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Um, but don't be boring, Todd, please. <laughs> <laughs> be exciting. Go. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I first, no, I don't, I don't think I vetoed anything. I don't think anything came up that I, that I, um, vetoed and I will, I'll tell you this. They, I mean, in terms of the kind of the upfront work, I mean, they, I was quarterbacking uh, the things that I need to quarterback from my end in order to put out a new, a new product. Um, but, you know, practically all of the work was done uh, via the two of them. Uh, and then the graphic designer and, and um, layout stuff uh, that Eric reached out to Ash for. And, and, you know, that would be great to talk about her and her collaboration with mm-hmm. this too. Um, so, Yes, I was just coming off the heels of publishing Sean's book in the previous fall. So I had uh, I had one uh, version of what that look, looked like doing it with someone else. And I, you know, I was very open and honest about what we did with Sean uh, when I was talking to Eric and Jihei. Um, and, and what part of that blueprint we'd probably keep the same in terms of, um, you know, just basically building the file, building the draft, uh, who are we going to use to do the graphic design? Are we going to use the person that I always have collaborated with, or do we want to use someone from the outside? Sean used someone from the outside. Uh, once we got to talking with Eric and Jihei, um, 
he had the idea to, to uh, bring Ash in, and, and uh, which I think was a great idea. And more and more, what I'm finding with these um, projects is like um, that, like the ability to have people take ownership over as much of the process as they can take ownership over, because it at the end of the day, it's their book, it's their product, it's not mine. Um, so choose who you want to do the design and choose who you want to oversee the layout. And, um, I do just want to sort of put a pin in something to, to congratulate you, Todd. I do, I would say this is something that so has thought a lot about, like, yes, even though all the the records on the, the, the merch table are by different artists and different composers and whatever, when you sort of squint at them all, they kind of look like they belong as part of the brand. And I would say from your method book to this one, I think if you laid them all out on the table, and squinted at them like yes what's great is they're each individual personalities of the people that like your book is definitely you um this book is definitely them and, and i don't know sean but i imagine the same thing there so anyway i just i wanted to say that i i enjoy the fact that you it's clear you do think about liquid drum branding as you're putting these together in some way but it's not right. the sort of forefront of of sure deal. yeah yeah and i think i mean the fact that they are um most of them well, they're all they're all physical products, even mm-hmm. those that do have a, a digital version. But even a digital version for me, I'm still thinking. Um, I mean, aesthetically, it's 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 graphic by nature. Um, the the collaboration with artists, I think, is. I, I couldn't do this without that. I mean, sure, I couldn't do it because I'm not a graphic designer, but I I wouldn't want to do it. Um, and I think you know, with what you guys have done with so, it's probably a, a similar vibe and that that's really that's an important part of this mm-hmm. um uh, not just like talking about packaging or like does it look cool or not look cool but you know there's like a there's there's this whole undercurrent to it mm-hmm. um and yeah whether there's a connective thread through the whole thing that i've through all the stuff that i put out um explicitly or not i do think the fact that you know the more you do the more you attract people who maybe are into that sort of thing and so mm-hmm. even if they're using a different designer or something it's still gonna maybe speak to some of that. There, there's going to be some similarity. Right. Um, so, okay. Back to process. Uh, yeah. These, uh, so drafts started coming in. Um, uh, we, I guess maybe it was in the fall, right? You all that we said, Oh, let's, I, I know I passed out these pieces to uh, some of my students and we, we use them in lessons. Um, and I think you two did the same. Um, and we got a little bit of feedback and just some, you know, chiseling away here and there. Um, and then, um, I mean, they can talk more about, you know, any of the inside stuff on that end, but eventually we get a draft, uh, and Ash has put together cover art and, mm-hmm. um, version one of the inside. Um, and I mean, it's, I, I know maybe it seems like there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the curtain, but I have a printer I work with and I contact my printer friend and they produce a, a proof and they tell me all the things that maybe we did wrong that we didn't realize mm-hmm. and not even wrong, but just like, Hey, we're, you know, something as easy as binding. We're using saddle stitch. So you need to have page multiples of four, which okay, mm-hmm. is the first saddle stitch project that I did. So I didn't realize that. And so, you know, an earlier proof had kind of an extra page or blank page or something, you know, all of that stuff. But you work out just by doing it and, and by making sure that you have good people to work with. I know that the printer that I work with um, is nice and is not going to say, you're an idiot, take this away. I don't want to do your project because you don't know that it should be a multiple of four mm-hmm. on the page count. Um, so, uh, 
you know, in terms of like the, then the build and the launch and getting towards final product, I mean, I, I have a blueprint of what I've done with my other projects. And so, mm -hmm. uh, I know when I need to, you know, put the gas pedal down on the social media stuff, there, you know, I, I know ways to go about doing that. And I think I've learned some things over the years in terms of how best to do that. Um, but a lot of it is just kind of the organic building of like a lot of people like Jihei and Eric. And so there's going to be a lot of attention that naturally comes from that. So it's not, you know, even just the people that they ask to, to record the stuff, like people are probably more likely to say yes than no. People are more likely to be excited about this than not. And people are more likely to grab a copy than not. Um, and so then it's just, it's kind of my job to stay out of the way. So yeah, we, uh, I sent the final proof to these two uh, yesterday. So hopefully they get it today or tomorrow. And assuming that it's good to go, we're going to hit uh, print with the printer and produce it. an undetermined number of copies yet. That depends. You know, we did this pre-sale in order to help determine what that number is. Right, so right. we'll make an educated guess uh, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday of next week. They'll turn them out in about five days. And then uh, we'll, have, we'll have our first run. Um, I mean, there's a version of all of this, as you know, Josh, uh, that is just like going to Office Depot and doing the same thing. You know, people who produce their own solo pieces, yeah. um, like it's, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward in terms of how you actually, whether it's a digital product, product, product or a physical product of how you get to that place that here it is. Um, I think the magic in it is how do you get it into people? Um, right. And do you have enough kind of built-in community in order to do that? Um, and so, and I knew from this that, that, that these two would have that, and that the drum has its own thing. And so it's, you know, I'm not so worried about, about that, that part well, of it. I'm curious how you, now that the book is done, um, and you're sort of, it's going to eventually within the next six months sort of start to creep its way into universities and kids stick bags, and then they're going to start practicing it and programming it on stuff. Um, if I were a teacher at a college who had no idea who the three of you were, this book comes across my plate. Um, what do you recommend? Like, is this a book that would be like, you could play this on a high school recital. You could play this on a graduate recital. Could you, would you recommend it for like, um, or is that something you just don't even want to even get into because you feel like it should just be in the world and people can put it and do whatever they want to with it? As I was looking through it, I just kept thinking like, oh my God, if my senior, if my graduate recital at Yale was just all of these, I'd be a way better marimba player than having played <laughs> played Mirage, you know, which I did for six months and still didn't play very well, you know, and Bob would probably attest to that. But like, I say that a little bit in jest, but all, but half in jest. Like where, where do you guys imagine, also knowing that marimba playing in general is exponentially getting better with each passing day at the student level. So, like, where, where do you imagine this sitting within the educational sort of uh, curriculum? And I'll leave that open to anybody can just chime in here. I'll go first. Uh, I, I think it, it has a range of from, like, high school students can play to uh, some of the undergraduate students can really play this well. Like, I've I, Definitely will be using it in my freshman class next year uh, in the fall. Um, and I think that there will be benefit from studying something really simple like a butterfly or uh, mother's love going into 
the bird song and uh, katori or the funny, uh, the little gong, we, we changed the title. Um, so those, those three pieces are probably much harder to get to. So I think it has a different, uh, the, the big range of the difficulty. And I think that if some of the students, like grad students, wants to play something simple really well, high level, like which Ayano just sent a mm-hmm. flower video, it's just mind-blowing. I have to say, like, hearing all these people, professionals, friends, sending in these videos and watching them, like, for me, it's a whole another perspective that I've been really appreciating and uh, very touched to see all this because I never actually got to experience it because <laughs> I never wrote anything <laughs> in my life. Um, so uh, it, it's kind of fun to be on the other side. So maybe I should do a better job for my composer friends playing their music <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I know writing your own music is a very, like you become very aware of how much you've, you've taken advantage of other composers over the past, you know, over your life. Definitely. Eric, what about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I just wanted to toss in the mix is that um, in terms of getting these friends to record these first videos uh, with the project, it was important to us that they come from different schools of thought about marimba. And, you know, there's different, like, traditions, even within, even just in the United States, you know, there's sort of, like, these amazing schools where, fantastic teacher kind of gathered people around them and, and advocated an approach. Um, all the people on this call at one point studied with Robert Van Sice and other people too. And, and, you know, Bob may or may not have been the most important teacher in our lives, but we wanted to make sure that it wouldn't feel like, well, you know, these are pieces that are designed for people who come out of Bob Van Sice's school. Like I think they can work in any different hands and, Exactly like Jihei is saying, you know, to me, the coolest thing is when somebody sends us a video back and it sounds different than I thought the piece was supposed to sound like. And I'm like, that's cool because it's not mine anymore. It's not or it's not ours anymore. You know, it's we experience this as performers all the time where a composer gives us something and then we have to be the ones to put it on stage. And so, like, from the point that, like, we're getting ready to put it on stage, we have this ownership stake in it and um I'm really excited about people bringing different perspectives to it as they play with their approach to the instrument. You know, one of the things that you, that was coming to mind as you were talking about it. Um, and I, you know, my time at Yale was very much, I was around four or five different, completely different players who all had different grips, who all had different approaches to sound and, and rhythm making, you know? And I, I'm trying to think if Bob ever once told me about my grip or, and I'm not saying that as a, like, he abdicated his responsibility and I had a foundation and whatever, but like, it was always about sound with him. And if, if something was causing me pain or was hindering my ability to get a sound, then we would talk about grip, but it was always about what you heard. And as I was listening, Ayano's was a really good example. Um, and I used the, the analogy to court to the image pieces too, where like those pieces were the first time when I was playing them, the image pieces in school, where I was like, whoa, do you hear how that harmony actually, like if you just let it be, whoa, and if you go on a different marimba because that marimba is maybe a little out of tune, this harmony sounds completely different. You have to voice it differently. I never had the ability or the just the bandwidth to think about that with Mirage because stuff is just like, like flying by all the time. And I wasn't a mature enough player to really, I didn't have the skill set. And I think this book in particular is like just really great at being like, 
the marimba is a resonant, beautiful instrument, and your ability to play harmonies balanced with you know, and it's kind of like hold it with hold four mallets with one hand, hold two with two hands, hold two with one hand, but with this book. What does it sound like to you? And I, I really feel like if I was a teacher, I would be thinking of it not as a I don't, companion is the wrong word, but like if I had a student working on velocities, I would demand that they learn all, 12, all 10 of these too. Because I think that no matter how advanced they are, there's just a thing you can get out of this method book that you can't get out of velocities. I mean, and Todd, from your standpoint as a teacher, is there anything I'm saying way off base? And please feel free to say yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree completely. Um, I think it's hard to convince students to do that though. I think that is, there's, there's a challenge, um, especially students who are, who are starting to get a little bit older, you know, maybe not with freshmen or sophomore, they're still kind of figuring things out and they don't know any difference. So they're handed, you know, an an easier etude to, to work on for a week. And they think, Oh, this is, you know, this is just what we do. But once the student, you know, has that experience, um, playing some more challenging repertoire, um, to then, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, step back down to something that's a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, I think there's something that has to be communicated about the benefit and the value of that that takes a while to kind of sink in at the student Mm -hmm. level. Like, you know, sometimes it could be, you know, you you joked about it with your your, uh, illustration of, of getting to to Yale and playing something from the homage book. Like, it's almost an insult. Like, why would you make me do this? That was what I did four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think, you know, if you have a teacher who's um, patient enough to guide a student through that, and I mean, it's no different from we all, you know, any of us who have studied timpani or going through the first 10 Hochreiner etudes, there's so much that you can reveal through that process of just playing C and G half notes or quarter notes. You're like, you know, nope, do it again. Those four notes they weren't, they weren't all the same. They didn't speak exactly the way they were supposed to, you know, you could spend four weeks on Hochreiner one. Um, I have. So I, you know, I, <laughs> Ask Bob, yeah, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that there's, that, that is a, that is certainly a specific mm-hmm. um, style of approach to, to teaching and we're trying to get certain things out of that mm-hmm. right we're we're teaching like you said we're teaching sound we're, we're teaching like a deep sense of of rhythmic realization or, or concept of time or you know whatever the case may be and and that's the nature of etudes right etudes as a as a body of work as a genre were, were developed with that in mind to take some sort of of you know skill development that we need and put it into um you know, a somewhat shorter musical context, um, not something that's, you know, 15 or 20 minute length solo, but something that's, you know, slightly more easily digested. Um, and it may be a matter of two, three, four or five minutes that really targets specific things or that the teacher can get in and really target specific things. So there's, yeah, there's also philosophically, two, I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, there's also two, I like the way that you all, like there's a couple etudes where like there's a moment of rubato that's purposeful or there's one section where there's like use one-handed rolls if necessary you know like 
but it only is like for two bar or something, you know, and I feel like as a student, you know, I, w- I would pick up those early Bach transcriptions or whatever of Stevens and that was because that's all there was. And there's like specific one handed rolls. And I have just got two fistfuls of bananas here that, that <laughs> were not ever able to do any of the things he wanted me to do. Uh, and I, I just I wanted to say, I think from a teacher's standpoint now, knowing what my weaknesses were as a student, I think having a two-minute etude where there's only one rubato and, you know, or whatever, like, I think that's a really good thing because that's also just a bad habit students get into when there's something hard. It's like, ooh, I'm going to put rubato in, you know. Um, and uh, But I want to – I just have – I have um, two more questions just in the interest of time. i got about five, ten minutes here and I want to let you go. Um, for somebody who picks these up, where – like if you have no relationship to Korean culture or folk songs, you don't know what these things sound like. I remember I picked up Japanese uh, children's songs book, and I think it's Sakura's the one song from Cherry Blossoms, I believe. And I didn't know what it was, and I listened to. I found some old recording at a you know on record at the library in 1999. You know, like and so like if someone's picking these up, Jihei, do you uh, do you recommend a place or a source or some traditional Korean singers or folk singers who like, these are the OGs of this world. And if you really want to know what this stuff, why this stuff exists in Korean culture, as long as it has, these are the folks you should check out. Do you have any recommendations? That's a great question. Uh, maybe I should make that recommendation because I think there are a especially some of the traditional folk songs. I mean, there are songs that people sing from, you know, little kids singing this folk song to really, you know, older generations sing it with a heavy vibrato, those Korean folk songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, sorry, I'm glad you said that because that, I mean, those those stylistic things are like, if I was a student, I'd be like, how the hell do I do that on marimba? You know, like, but I don't think it's an uninteresting thing for a student to have to think about and come to their teacher and ask, you know. Yeah, so, like, I think there are, like, so many different, and some of them sound, like, so karaoke, you know, ish. So, I, I do think that maybe it would be helpful for them to have a, have that reference. So, maybe I will work on that, Josh. But um, I don't think any of those 10 songs are hard to find. They are very popular from the traditional folk songs to children's songs. So, I think nobody's going to have a hard time looking for it and really hearing the melody or somebody singing the tune beautifully but it's a good point josh well i I mean (laughs) i'm I'm asking a little bit i mean a lot out of just complete ignorance i do not have a background and i have no i mean i was listening through these songs and i think i've i hear eric speak korean words every now and again to his wife and i'm like i think i recognize i know what the word chagi means like like you know and but but i think if i were to pick these up as a teacher too I think I would want to have, I would feel ethically responsible to have at least some idea of, of what, what these are. So um, even if, even if the students don't have this reference, I think from an educa- from a teacher standpoint, it might be good. Um, and this is my last question. And it's, and it's maybe not the most, it's the most nuts and bolts and dumb one, but like how much is it? Where folk, where can folks get it? And when is it officially going to be like mailed out to folks? I'll take that question, Josh. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so right now it is uh, exclusively exclusively available at liquiddrum.com. Uh, the pre-sale event, which started on Tuesday, runs until Tuesday, February 1st. So we have another week and a half or so, um, during which time you can get it for $26 plus shipping to wherever you live in the world. And... Um, and then uh, after that point, it'll 
it will skyrocket up $6 to a $32 price point uh, where it will sit. And um, yeah, people who do the presale will get them, uh, we're aiming for first week of February, uh, you know, unless another massive winter storm hits Texas as it did last February, hopefully not. Um, but if we're all in good shape here, everything's on track for distribution to happen then. So yeah, they'll have it early February and then, um, you know, we're going to kind of see what happens. We'll probably keep it just at liquid drum for, I would say, you know, the first few months. And then Mm -hmm. there's probably a natural spreading out to retailers and resellers like Weiss and Lone Star and and, um, other places after that. And I imagine next year at PASIC, if folks wanted to grab it in person there, like eventually this stuff is going to end up in those, yeah. those ecosystems. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Amazing. Well, Eric, uh, Eric and, and, um, Jihei, do you have any last words before we sign off here? Anything else you want to add to, to, to pique someone's interest? I mean, I, I guess I would just tag on to what Jihei was saying earlier that, um, or Josh, you mentioned how we, we used to like go to the library and look up CDs or, Eight tracks of, <laughs> of, uh, of you know music that we were trying to study to learn about what we're doing. Obviously, now you can just search this stuff on YouTube or Google or whatever. So we we made a point of putting the names um, with the sort of Romanized characters um, in the Korean names. So actually, anybody who's playing one of these pieces could go in and and Google the name as we put it in the book, and um, I think you'd probably find videos searching that way you can also find using the korean characters which are also there on each page that hmm. the, the english names some of them are sort of standardized and some of them we decided how we were going to translate them so the english name uh, might not give you a search result if you use that but um, i definitely think it's worthwhile because there were times where um you know jihei would send me like a screenshot of one of the little melodies and then i would search for it and i'd find you know like this is like a show tune version of it. The, you know, the, the one I've been played hunting birds, you know, the, the first result I got was a woman going, Gatari! Gatari, 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 Gatari. You know, and I was like, well, I can't even hear the melody that she sent me. But that was actually cool because it was like, Oh, these things are like so deep in Korean culture that like people riff on them. You know, there's like a riff on the riff on the riff on the riff. And it's somewhere, the melody is somewhere in there because people are so familiar with it already. Um, and I think it's, I think if you're going to play these pieces, it's really worth checking out some of those videos and understanding where this comes from. One of the other really cool things that I learned more about through this was, you know, um, Korea as a country has gone through some really tough times of, you know, being occupied by other countries in the past and things. Many times these songs were written because Korea was occupied at the time and people couldn't openly criticize the occupation government, mm. but they would write a song that was about a bird and, you know, was really the lyrics were meant to, to say like, we want to be free of, of this oppression that we're facing, um, which is true for a lot of folk music all over the world. But um, anyway, I, I really do hope that the people who play it take the time to, to research the background and where these things come from. We, like Todd said, we put a couple of little notes in, but um, it's easy to Google and learn more these days. I think I appreciate that context, Eric. And that's, that's the sort of like, if you guys have ever listened to Dan Carlin's like hardcore history, like when he talks about the context behind a specific fact, like, yes, this is called, um, you know, birds or whatever, 
but the context underneath it is like actually it's a protest against the you know, or a you know a fight against oppression you know like that sort of stuff I think is not unimportant especially moving forward just as educators to sort of have that little like a student should understand what why why is there a North and South Korea what is the like what was the occupation what was the Korean War like like just a little not you know they don't need to be history buffs but I think a little bit of context is really crucial and I I got to say like. Um, whether or not it was your intention, Jihei, I, I think you've done, and Eric, sorry, <laughs> you've really made, I think, a, opened a door to a specific type of Korean culture in marimba playing that I think I never had opened when I was a student. And I, I want to say, like, I think on behalf of generations of students now, I think, thank you. Like, it, this is really, really important. Um, and I think you should keep doing it. And there should be more of these you know, maybe the next one is traditional songs from Canton, Ohio. Eric, I can help yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, it's all going to be Lent biscuit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Fred Durst. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I really recommend this book for anybody listening, educator or teacher. I think it's well worth the thirty-two dollars that you're going to spend on it. Um, and I think it's a book that, like the Image book, like some other ones that have just kind of stood the test of time, I think this one will be there with them. So congratulations on that. Um, I hope folks check it out and go to liquiddrum.com. Um, other than that, thank you so much for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope we can hang in person sooner than later, Todd and Jihei. I've hung with Eric already. I don't need to hang with him anymore. But you too, I miss you dearly. Much love to you and stay healthy, okay? Hey, Josh. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Thanks. Josh. Hey, I'm here for you. I am here for you. All three people watching this, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder. Um, just a really nice guy. Very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check him out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mangochowclothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>